Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Well, uh, Shabbat Shalom to all of you, and uh, thank you for the uh, privilege of uh, allowing me to come and share with you this morning. I um, I, I want to, first of all, uh, speak as the um, vice president of the UMJC and state how deeply we appreciate the ministry of your congregation, Tikva Yisrael, but also um, how much we deeply appreciate the ministry of Rabbi David and uh, Rabbi and Sonia Ween. So uh, it's a privilege for me to share with you this morning and to be with you. Rabbi David and I spoke first uh, some time ago about his um, uh, thought of um, speaking to his congregation about gardening your strengths. And it was in light of that that um, we uh, developed this uh, vision of uh, how I might um, share with you on that. And I I moved naturally to this, uh, this uh, letter from Paul, uh, the letter to the Philippians, one that I uh, deeply appreciate and I think has something very, very special for us to experience today. Let's let's open with a word of prayer. Vinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, thank you for being present with us. And above all, Lord, we pray that you would direct each heart to hear and know what, what you are speaking to them today. Lord, uh, we are gathered not to hear my voice, but to hear what your Ruach HaKodesh has for those who have come to seek a, a word from you, a word of comfort, a word of direction, a word of inspiration, and perhaps a, a, a word of, of power and strength for a difficult time in life. So in all those things, Lord, we, we give this time to you and entrust this time to you in Yeshua's name. Amen. What do we say during a critical time when you have to share what's most important to you? What will you say to those you love when you come to a turning point and you really need to say what's most important. That was on the heart of Rav Shaul as his life hung in the balance. He was writing a letter from prison to beloved friends in uh, Philippi, a distant, faithful congregation, one that had supported him financially and blessed his ministry as he had blessed them and although he was very confident that he was um, going to be um, acquitted during the coming trial, 
he was also prepared for the worst. And we see this through the letter as he speaks to those he loves and those for whom he is most concerned. And what I want you to realize is that these words are words to us. They are words of encouragement and inspiration, and they are meant to be guideposts for us to understand the legacy of those qualities that Rav Shaul would want us to be inspired by in our situation. And so think of these as words for us. And he's speaking to this very fine city, a city with a great Acropolis, theater, pillared streets. Ancient Philippi was actually beautiful city, a remarkable place. The amazing and tragic aspect about this city is that Philippi was destroyed in an earthquake uh, similar to the one which has just been experienced in Turkey and Syria. It was totally devastated in the sixth century and abandoned at that time. But we know very well where the city is. Its ruins have been uncovered. The beautiful pillared streets are somewhat aware to us through the, um, the ruins that, that have been covered. uncovered. The great Acropolis on a high hill is there. And this stadium that you can see the, um, uh, that uh, is still intact. It was a remarkable city, slightly inland from the Mediterranean coast and very blessed because it was named for the father of Alexander the Great. And uh, he in particular paid attention to it. As you notice, uh, it was in Macedonia, the, the um, homeland of uh, Alexander and Philip. And this was the place where Shaul first came and met with Lydia, uh, God-fearer, and brought her household to faith and established Europe's first congregation of Yeshua, Yeshua followers. So this was a place he knew, a place that was familiar to him and where people had developed that loving relationship with him. And you can see that from some of the very first words in this epistle, where he reveals not just his heartfelt, heartfelt feelings, but his aspirations for them. God can testify how I long for all of you with the deep affection of Messiah Yeshua. And this is my prayer, that your love, and he means here your love of God, may more and more overflow in fullness of knowledge and depth of discernment, so that you will be able to determine what is best, and thus be pure and without blame for the day of Messiah. Note that emphasis, to determine what is best but also the tensions of the moment come out very clearly here and throughout the letter where he models the convictions of his faith, where he says in verse 20, it all accords with my earnest expectation and hope that I will have nothing to be ashamed of, but rather now as always, the Messiah will be honored by my body, whether it is alive or dead, for to me, life is the Messiah and death is gain. What profound words these are. Sometimes in our journey, we reach what seems to be the end of the line. We seem to come to a point we just don't know where, where we're going to go, how we're going to go forward. It seems to be the end, but it's not the end. 
Over 20 years ago, I was stuck in exactly that kind of situation. I was uh, not employed. I had um, been working on a, a very important, uh, long commitment, a major project to which I was strongly, um, uh, strongly committed, but I needed, <laughs> I needed a job. I needed uh, funds. I, I, I needed to go forward, but I wasn't sure where to go. And during that time, something very profound happened. I went to prayer. And when I was on my knees, the Lord very powerfully spoke to my heart. And this is what he said for me. You do not know what I have laid up for you. And I moved forward in that trust. The next day, I got a phone call for a job totally out of the blue. Somebody had heard of my name. They'd heard of my um, rep reputation in my secular career. And that job carried me through. And literally, the day after that job was done, I got another phone call. And within several weeks, I was uh, running the Messianic Times, with which I had had a long relationship prior. And then five years later, when that position ended, I re-entered congregational planting, which I'd been involved in years before. And I ended, uh, and I entered again into pastoral leadership and uh, mentoring. And the result of that was four new Messianic congregations planted across Canada. We do not know where the Lord is leading us, but he is with us on the journey. That's what's most important. At life's turnings, turning points, like Rav Shaul, we recognize that the resurrection life of Yeshua has been integrated into our lives. We apprehend that God has given us a purpose and meaning through it all, and that our call came from him. It came from him. And so in chapter two, we see how Rav Shaul now speaks dynamically with this kind of power, this assurance into the lives of his friends, directing them to live as his legacy. Therefore, if you have any encouragement for me from being in union with the Messiah, any comfort flowing from love, any fellowship with me in the spirit, or any compassion, the, the words here obviously repeat this formula, any encouragement, any fellowship, any compassion and sympathy, complete my joy. Now, the word complete my joy in the Greek makes it clear. It's make it full, fulfill my joy with the right attitudes. They take a look at these. They are very powerful, simple, and they resonate as well with John 15 to 17, when Yeshua is also speaking to his disciples at the moment where he is about to go into circumstances that they cannot possibly understand until the resurrection. A. Verse two, having a common purpose and a common love by being one in heart and mind. Verse three, do nothing out of rivalry or vanity and humility. Regard each other as better than yourselves. And verse four, look out for each other's interests and not just for your own. Consider each one. Do they describe you? Do people see you living these out? A common purpose, common love, unity in heart and mind. Lack of rivalry 
lack of vanity, a humility. Are you known for looking out for other people's interests, not just your own? We know the one who is Rav Shetwell's guide and our guide to have a heart for living together this way. And this is where it all begins. This is why immediately Rav Shaul begins to point us towards Yeshua. And these are such important words. I wish we could spend more time on them, but the emphasis is clear. Let your attitude toward one another be governed by your being in union with Messiah Yeshua. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself. That word in Greek, kenosis, it is one of the most important theological concepts in the Brit Hadashah. He emptied himself and that he took the form of a slave by becoming like us, becoming like human beings are. And when he appeared as a human being, he humbled himself still more by becoming obedient even to death, death on a stake as a criminal. Therefore, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. Take a look at those words in verse 8, how they resonate with that striking situation in which Rav Shepwell finds himself. Therefore, God raised him to the highest place. It is God who carries us through. It is God who is leading us through. No matter what will come, Rav Shaul inspires his friends to stay faithful. Hold on to the word of life. And if you do this, I will be able to boast. When the day of Messiah comes, that I did not run and toil for nothing. Indeed, even if my lifeblood is poured out as a drink offering over the sacrifice and service of your faith, I will still be glad and rejoice with you all. Take a look at that word rejoice. It will come up again. It's the reflection of that. Make my joy full. And the sense is of the positive quality that he seeks to find in us. I always remember a dear friend of mine who's now with the Lord, who always used to say, you know, I just, uh, I just don't know why some believers, it looks like they were baptized in lemon juice. I want to see people rejoicing with me in the Lord. And that spirit is there in, in Rav Shaul as well. And he knows when he's gone, others will come claiming superior credentials. If anyone else thinks he is ground for putting confidence in human qualifications, I have better grounds. It's not about these qualifications. And he lists them here. But that's not what I want to focus on. I want you to take a look. He has all the qualifications to lead, to teach, to instruct. But notice, I gave it all up in order to know him, that is Messiah to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings as I am being conformed to his death. Wow. Notice how here he integrates the model of Yeshua's sacrificial life, the dynamic hope of the resurrection, right into that message, into his life. 
And then further, how he inspires us. It's not that I have already obtained it or reached that goal. No, I keep pursuing it in the hope of taking hold of that for which the Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. And that is the message to us. Take hold. Yes, we haven't obtained it. Yes, we fall short. Yes, we're not there yet. Yes, we're imperfect. But I keep pursuing it. Because Yeshua took hold of me. And now, take hold. You who follow me, take hold. The right attitudes, the right heart. Rejoice in union with the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see how reasonable and gentle you are. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. On the contrary, make your requests known to God by, power, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And then he adds this, not just the right attitudes, not just the right heart, but the right Focus. In conclusion, focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, on some virtue, on something praiseworthy. The King James uses the similar words, but note how the emphasis tells us whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. How do we live for what is best? Take hold of the great challenge of the believer's life and keep seeking what has been called my utmost for his highest. We all fail. We all falter. Don't look back. Press on. Keep investing in your character, nurturing attitudes rooted in God's word and guarding your hearts and minds in Messiah Yeshua. That's the great struggle in a world full of devotion, uh, diversions instead of devotions, and to keep your focus on what matters above all. And even more so, and even more so, invest in what you do best with the goal of excellence. Not because excellence is what other people expect of you, but reach out not only to complete your ministry in excellence, because that is where God wants to take us. In my experience, that's the most powerful reality, is that God himself, in his call, is seeking to fulfill your best. Allow the Lord to fill your days with his purpose and focus on how you can use your strengths to be a blessing for those around you. Spend time encouraging others, 
And by the way, genuinely appreciate what they have given you as their lives reflect the authentic living power of Messiah. And don't resist that gentle prompting of the Ruach to bring the caring reality of Messiah into someone else's life. Don't resist the prompting to speak of why and how you got to where you are. No one, no one embodied this quite as much as this man, Oswald Chambers. He is the one who taught me, and I, I have been a student of his over many years, to never doubt the power of an inspired life. He was a very gifted artist and a, a brilliant, brilliant mind. Eventually, he became principal of the Bible Training College in London. But during World War I, he closed the school and he became a YMCA chaplain to the British forces in Zaitun, which were outside Cairo in, in Egypt. They were, they were just on the verge of the Holy Land because the Turks controlled that area. They controlled the whole area of what we call Israel and the, um, uh, the areas around Syria. They were in control of this area, and the British had their eye on taking this area. And the uh, soldiers who were poised there included the Australians, the New Zealanders, as, long, as well as the British. And you need to understand as well, the Australians and the New Zealanders had just come from a very disappointing campaign. And so Oswald Chambers committed himself to literally to give Bible studies. They told him it was never going to work, but the opposite happened with his personal appeal and his great gifts in speaking and his real care and concern for the soldiers. His tent was packed day after day, night after night, with men listening attentively to messages such as, what is the good of prayer? And he, he was often confronted by, you know, by these, uh, uh, you know, these, these, rough, uh, these rough guys who, who, who would um, challenge him. One, one said, I can't stand religious people. And he replied, neither can I. Chambers tragically was stricken with appendicitis on October 7th, October 17th, 1917. He knew that the men were about to um, uh, take the third, enter into the third battle of Gaza, one of the key battles of that, um, of that uh, campaign. And so he resisted taking uh, what he felt would be a, a, a bed for a, from a wounded soldier. But unfortunately, his condition worked, worsened terribly. On October 29th, they performed a, an emergency appendectomy. Um, and he tragically died on November 15th, 1917. He was buried in Cairo with full military honors. But the British, Australian, and New Zealand troops to whom he ministered and inspired proved themselves in the fight for the Holy Land and their feats of courage drove out the Turkish forces committed to holding on to Jerusalem and the sacred sites. 
what you're looking at is a picture of one of the great battles for for uh, what would become the land of Israel. This is the um, cavalry charge of Beersheba, what is considered to be the last great cavalry charge of all time, which took place in the 20th century. But what's most important is that on December 11th, just less than a month later, the British commander, General Allenby, marched into Jerusalem as England laid the groundwork toward a national homeland for the Jewish people. And this was also part of his legacy. His widow and infant daughter returned to England where Mrs. Chambers transcribed and then published his sermons and lectures. And she used these to compile one of the world's most widely read devotionals, one that I treasure and which has been treasured by many ministry leaders, my utmost for his highest. Rav Shaul also was once thought to have made the Philippians the recipients of his last letter, but we no longer think that. The current thought is that his trial um, in 61, 62 led to his acquittal and that only later was he imprisoned when Nero martyred many followers of Yeshua, blaming them for the fire in Rome, which was well known that he had set. And it was during this time around 67 and 68 that both Kepha and Rev Sha'ul were, um, were also among those who were martyred during that period. But that's secondary for us right now. Rav Sha'ul is still speaking to us. He's still inspiring us to joyfully live his legacy, live the legacy of Yeshua in our lives, the resurrection life in its reality, a faith and a life that takes hold of the right attitudes, the right heart, and day by day, the right focus. Listen to these closing words. Keep doing what you have learned and received from me, what you have heard and seen me doing. And then the God who gives that inner peace, that inner shalom will be with you. Let's pray. Vinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, help us day by day, through our struggles, to live the life that you've inspired us to live because you're with us on the journey. No matter where we are, no matter what faults or frustrations or obstacles are in the way, you are there with us. And you will be with us no matter what comes. Help us to keep the course. Help us to stay on the path, to press on, to invest in ourselves, invest in what we do best so that we may indeed live a life that glorifies you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen.